0: Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to finish up that chapter this morning, Lord willing. If my voice sounds like it's going on me a little bit, my son had a football game and that's what happens. (laughs) Pastors do yell for their children, it does happen. All right, well, 1 Timothy, as we talked about last week, as we started looking at this letter, an epistle, that's what an epistle is, just a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, but it was really written to all believers. Now again, it was specifically written to Timothy because at that time what was happening was Paul was coming to the end of his ministry and the end of his life. When we get to 2 Timothy, I believe, as most scholars do, that that's the last letter that he wrote. It's kind of his last will and testament right before he's put to death. And so, basically what is happening here is the Apostle Paul, this man that had been used mightily by God, is writing these last words to his co-laborers in the faith, his sons in the faith, if you will, and he's giving ministry away to them. He's been the pastor, he's been the one planning the churches, he's about to go be with the Lord, and so he's instructing them and encouraging them and strengthening them in their faith. Now, as we saw last week, Paul is very burdened for the church even as his days are numbered and Paul at the same time one of the reasons God used this guy so mightily was he was a man that had an eternal focus you know one of the reasons we struggle with trials on this earth is that we forget where we're going amen Amen. it's hard to think we're going to be here like this is it and guys this is all temporary and Paul had such an eternal perspective that he was one of those guys that you couldn't threaten him with heaven No matter what you did to him, the worst thing you could do to him was the best thing that could happen to him, and so he was fearless. But as we're going to see in the text this morning, he wasn't fearless because of himself. He was fearless because of the one who dwelt within him, who had given him a proper perspective on life. Paul's impact on this temporal world was so incredible because his focus was on the eternal. The verse comes to mind when I think of Paul. He that's been forgiven much loves much. As we come to this point in Paul's life, if you'll remember, he wrote most of the New Testament. Again, the Holy Spirit wrote all of it. He just happened to be the hand that God used. By the way, did you know that when God wants to give someone a hug, sometimes He wants to use your hands and your arms? You know, God wants to speak to somebody and encourage them. He wants to use your lips sometimes. And this is where Paul's at. He's the, the tool that God is using. He's the tool in the hand of the Master. And God has used him in a mighty way. He planted most of the churches, or many of the churches throughout the known world, and... Everywhere he went, as I've said before, he brought either revival or riot. And this great champion of the faith was a poster boy for Christianity, but at the same time, as we look at the text this morning, we're going to remember it wasn't always that way. That this man of great boldness, this man of the heavenly focus, this man who was faithful and obedient, before he was such a mighty man of God, he was arguably the biggest enemy of the faith. He was The persecutor of Christians. I was going to say it later in verses, but you know who he was? He was Osama bin Laden. That's who he was. Osama bin Laden is zealous for what he believes, isn't he? And he's wrong. Amen? And Paul was, Saul of Tarsus then, was zealous for what he believed and he was wrong. And Osama bin Laden thinks he's honoring God by the things he's doing, and so did Saul of Tarsus, and they were both wrong. This tells us something. You can be zealous, you can even be sincere, and you can be wrong. Because, guys, it's not how sincere you are how zealous you are that proves you're right. It's how faithful you are to the true and living God. After salvation... We're going to see that he did indeed become a mighty man of God, but before that, he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violently arrogant man, and Paul's life, when looked at from the beginning to end, is one of the most incredible pictures in all of human history of God's grace, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is the grace of God. When you look at his life, you would think this is the last guy who would get saved, just like you would think of Osama bin Laden right about now, amen? Amen. If you had to say, who's the last guy? I get Can you imagine if he went on TV and said, you know what? I was all wrong. I have repented. I snuck into the Harvest Crusade last night and <laughs> gave my life to Jesus Christ. And you know what? I repent for what I've done. I turn myself in to go to prison. And I'm telling all my guys to stop doing what they're doing. We'd all be suspect, wouldn't we? And that's how the Jews were. When, when Saul got saved, Ananias said, I, I don't, the Lord said, I want you to go minister to him. And he said, minister to him. I'd like to lay a few licks on him. You know, because he had been the one who held the coats while they were stoning Stephen. He had been the one that got letters to go out and persecute the body of Christ. And so when he got saved, people were suspect and they wanted to see it. And see it last for a while before they believed it. And we'll talk about that as we go through the text. But this was a man who was spiritually blind persecutor to a spiritually bold proclaimer of truth. He went from being an enemy of, a, of the faith to a sold out apostle. And it's this same transformation that has taken place in the heart of every single believer in this room. Guys, when you were born again, you became a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You're adopted into the family of God. You're his child and nobody could ever snatch you out of his hand. You ought to live different, amen? Amen. Because you're filled with the Spirit of the living God. And you know what? I titled the message this morning, if you're a note taker, Trophies of His Grace. And that's exactly what we are. And when we look at the Apostle Paul, he is the ultimate trophy of His grace. And what do I mean by that? When you look at this guy, it makes you think if God can save him, He can save anybody. And you know what? That's true of us as well, isn't it? If people knew everything about us, they would say, if God can save her, if God can save him, God can save anybody. If he can take that life and use it for his glory, he can use any life for his glory. Every one of us is a trophy of God's grace. Now last week, real quickly, the first 11 verses, and we'll pick up verse 12, As we saw encouragement from Paul as he charged Timothy Speaking with uh, apostolic authority to remain in Ephesus. Now, that means he wanted to leave. So we look at these guys in the Bible, we always think they've got this, you know, we know they have supernatural empowerment from God because so do you. Amen? But at the same time, sometimes we think that, well, yeah, they were the apostles. So they really had some supernatural extra stuff. And here's the truth. They struggled just like you. And they had difficulties and trials, just like you. And Timothy's in Ephesus, and he wants to go home. He's like, you know what? Idolatry is here. The people here are stirring people up with false doctrine. They've got all these fables they're teaching. And you know what? I'm tired of the persecution. I want to go find a cheaper place to live in the Bible Belt, right? I want to go find a place that's easier for me to, to do ministry. But the truth is, God was not done with Timothy and, with Timothy in Ephesus, like God has not done with most of you in Santa Cruz, amen? You didn't pick to live here because of the price of houses, and you didn't pick to live here because it was the Bible Belt, amen? But God brought you here nonetheless, and while you might want to leave, God may charge you with the same words, stay until I tell you different, amen? And you be faithful while you're there, and that's what he told Timothy. Now, he also charged Timothy to not give heed to fables, to charge others, to teach no other doctrine. Now, this is interesting. We live in a world today, I talked about this last week, where we think that in the church we should just put our arms around everybody and sing kumbaya. As long as you believe in something and you believe it with sincerity, it's all good. No, it's not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. That means Jesus is the only way, he's the only truth, he's the only life, he's the only path, he's our only hope. And when we put our arm around somebody who rejects the deity of Jesus Christ and we act like it's okay, that's blasphemous. It's blasphemy to deny the deity of Christ. Now, should we love those people? Should we reach out to them? Should we point them to the truth? You better believe it. But we'll notice in this text from last week, he, he charged them, don't let them teach any other doctrine. If they do, confront them. Now, do it in love. We don't need to stand up on a box with a blowhorn and scream at people. We know what we need to do is go in love and put our arm around them and point them to the truth. Amen? Amen? Now, aren't all of us, don't we all still have things we need to learn? We must not act like we've arrived and we've got it all figured out and we're just going to go walking around, straightening everybody else out. The truth is that all of us, when we get to heaven, as you've heard me say before, are going to have some of our theology straightened out. Amen? Then he said, don't give heed to fables. Those, the word for fable was muthos, myths. And you know what? That's what happens even in the church today. Somebody's got some brand new doctrine that no one's ever heard of before. And you know what? The word is muthos, myths, fables. And again, because we're going to see later that Paul calls out names, we should call out names. Not, again, self-righteously, but so we can understand where the lies are. Fables are things like the Mormon church. Joseph Smith saw an angel who gave him a new gospel. That's a myth. Amen? Amen? The Jehovah's Witnesses are built on a man by the name of Charles Taze Russell who said he was an authority in Old Testament, you know, in Greek and Hebrew. And you know what? When put on trial, he didn't know any of it. Not a word of it. They predicted the end of the world over and over and over. How many times do you have to be wrong before you're a false prophet? Once. Now, I'm pointing this stuff out to us, not so that we are holier than thou and self-righteous and looking down upon them, but that we understand and recognize that they're not our brothers and sisters in Christ, but they need to be, and we need to share Jesus with them, Amen? amen? Now this is the Apostle Paul saying, look, when you see the fables, don't heed the fables. When you hear people come with a new doctrine, don't listen to it. Get back to the simplicity of the gospel. Do we need to do that in the church today or what? We need to get away from so we got so we're so entertained and we're so comfortable. But you know what the truth is? We need to get back to the simple truth of my favorite song ever: Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen? Every two-year-old can sing it, and that's as deep a spiritual truth as you're ever gonna hear. Jesus loves you, and he died on the cross, so you might have eternal life. He also told him to steer clear of legalism and to stick with the simplicity of the gospel. So that brings us this morning. Now what's interesting, I love that Paul told him to stay away from legalism. Because who was the most legalistic guy on the planet before he got saved? Saul of Tarsus. This guy knew the law. Saul became Paul. But he was the man, he was the most legalistic man on the planet. And what's interesting, he spent decades in zealous legalism and it didn't bring him any joy. And then he came to know Christ and he had joy overnight. Guys, being zealous for the law will never bring you joy. All it will continually do is show you that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that's a good thing. But you know what? Unless we respond by faith and put our faith in Jesus Christ, the recognition of our need for a Savior is not enough. We need to respond. Amen? So here's where we're at. We come to this place where he's told them, to stay with the simplicity of the gospel, and now the Apostle Paul is going to talk about himself. He's going to, he says, stick with the simplicity of the gospel, stay away from the fables, stay away from the endless genealogies, you know, the Bible codes and the stuff that's not in the Bible that people try to put into the Bible. Stay away from all of that stuff, get back to the simple truth of the Word of God, and then he starts to share his own testimony, which is extremely powerful. Now, if you're a note taker, a trophy of God's grace. Paul is a perfect example of it, but it's true of everybody in this room. If you're giving your life to Jesus Christ, first we're going to see the impact of God's grace on Paul's life. I'll give you the, the sub points as we go through, but the impact of God's grace on Paul's life, and then second, we're going to see Paul's exhortation to Timothy in light of God's grace, based on the fact that God is a gracious God. Timothy, here's how you should go forward in pastoring the church. In Ephesus, So let's begin looking in verse 12 of 1 Timothy, a trophy of God's grace, the impact of God's grace on Paul's life. The first thing we're going to see is it enabled him to minister to others. Verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. Now Paul couldn't get over the fact that God would not only save him, but then he would enable him to share the very faith that God had given to him with others. Isn't it an incredible blessing that not God didn't just save you, but God saved you and now he wants to use you. And this is Paul's, Paul's blown away. He's at the end of his ministry and he still can't get over the fact that God is choosing to use a man like him. May we never get over the fact that God is choosing to use people like us. I love there that it says, enabled. It's not something Paul could do on his own. He couldn't do it in his own strength, only through the enabling of Christ. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Without Him, we can do what? Nothing. And the word nothing in original language means nothing. So you can do nothing apart from Him. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he's thanking God that God has enabled him not just to be saved and go into heaven. And that's good. That's wonderful. That's great. But God didn't save us to stick us in mothballs until we go to heaven. Amen. He didn't save us so we could all be big fat pew potatoes. The biggest, fattest, best fed sheep in town who were doing nothing for the kingdom of God. He saved us to use us for his glory. And that's exactly what he's telling. He said, look, I'm blown away that God has enabled me. He's not only saved me, but he's gifted me and he's using me for his glory. The word enable, I love it. When you look it up, it's indonama." Now what I love about this, it's, this, it's where you get the word dunamis. Dunamis. What does dunamis mean? Dynamite. Dynamite. Dynamic. It's where we get the word power. He says... In the text, and you shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And the word for power is dunamos. And this is a form of that word. God has enabled him. God has empowered him. God didn't just save him. He empowered him to use him. And when God saved you, he empowered you to use you. And who is it that empowers you? The Holy Spirit living inside of you. Amen. That's what he's saying, look, I was saved and I've been empowered by God. The source of empowering for ministry is the Holy Spirit upon a believer. Jesus enables believers by pouring out his Spirit upon them. I will go away and send you another helper, Jesus said. And prior to enabling for ministry, notice though that there is a part that we take in it. First of all, you can't minister for God until you've been born again. I seems very simple, but, well, they're doing good works. They're not good if you don't know God. Without Him, I can do nothing again, so how am I doing good? Well, as long as they're doing really good things, and you know, they got, they've got orphanages, and again, there's nothing wrong with those things. Those are wonderful, but if we go down and we build houses for every poor person, and we give them all the car, and we put all the food that they could possibly need for the next ten years, and we put a million dollars in every one of their bank accounts, and we don't tell them about Jesus Christ, we've done nothing. Because you know what? What we've done is we've made them more comfortable in this world apart from Christ. Sometimes we're comforting them when God's trying to bring them to the end of themselves. We need to come to the end of ourselves that we might look up, amen? Amen. Sometimes we think we're jumping in to help and all we're doing is hindering what God wants to do. Now, we should reach out to the poor. The Word of God tells us to do so, amen? But when we reach out to them, the greatest thing we can give them, along with a cup of cold water, along with even building them a house, if God calls you to do that, is give them the Word of God and give them the truth of the Gospel. And Paul's heart here is, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, that He has enabled me because He counted me faithful. Now, does this seem like a contradiction? He enabled me because He counted me faithful. Now what does that mean? It is our God who empowers us for ministry, or is it that we respond to His calling to ministry? Which is it? Does God empower us for ministry, or do we respond to His calling to ministry? Which is it? It's both. He calls us, we respond, amen? Does God drag you out of your house and make you come to church on Sunday? Does God drag you? Now, the Holy Spirit may encourage you, but the point is that you've got to respond. As God calls you into any, to working in the children's ministry, God calls you to share your faith at work, we know when the Holy Spirit is moving in our hearts, but the, the Lord will never make us do anything. He will encourage us, He will equip us, He'll come alongside us, but at some point, we have to say, Yes, Lord. Now, He'll do the work, we just got to get in the boat. Amen he'll get us to the other side we just have to participate and that's what paul is saying in this verse he's saying he because he counted me faithful it is god who empowers us and it's also we who respond without him and his empowering or his spirit of his spirit we can do nothing but it takes nothing away from god's all sufficient power to say that we must respond by faith faith is a necessary prerequisite to being used by God and to ministering the gospel to other people. Faith is what we do when we place our trust in Him. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When we trust God when it doesn't make sense to us. Does it always make sense to God? Of course it does. Faith is saying, Lord, I don't get it, but you know what, I'm not you, so I trust you. And Lord, I believe you. And Lord, I'm going to do it because you're telling me to, but I don't understand how it's going to work, but I just trust you. Peter, get out of the boat and walk in the water. That's faith. Amen? But, but you can't walk on water, right? Right? If you get logical. Now again, we don't have faith in spite of the evidence. That would be superstition. We have faith in, on top of the evidence of the truth of God's word. Amen? Faith, as we place our trust in Him, He empowers us to be trustworthy in doing His will. And faith produces an action. It's not faith or works or faith plus works. It's faith that works. When you have faith in God, there's going to be a transformation in the way that you live. Faith isn't just sitting and contemplating your navel and chanting Om all night. Amen? True faith is when God calls you to do something, you say, yes, Lord. And you step out and do it. A faithful life is a fruitful life. Well, you might say, well, how in the world do I increase my faith? Well, you should know the answer to that because Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you want your faith to grow, read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Open up your Bible, spend some time in presence of Almighty God, and as you spend time with Him, your faith will grow and God will use you in a more mighty way. Now, this is not legalism. People say that, well, man, you've got to do this and you've got to do that before God can you, Guys, if you love the Lord, you're going to want to read His Word. I mean, I'm in lo- are you in love with the Lord? If you're in love with Him, He gave you a love letter. Don't you want to read it? Don't you want to open it up and spend time at His feet and get to know Him? The Apostle Paul is saying, He enabled me because He counted me faithful. And He put me into the ministry. Here's the thing I've learned. The more time I spend in God's Word, the more I fall in love with my Savior. Because to know Him is to love Him. Isn't that true? And so for me to love Him more, I just need to know Him better. And if I spend time in His Word, I will. He says, putting me into the ministry. Now I love this part because the word ministry there just means service. Too often we start to elevate the word ministry. Oh, in the ministry. Ooh, right? Pastor means slave. It re- that's what it means. It means under rower. You know, if we had, instead of schools of ministry, if we had schools of slavery, how many people would sign up? (laughs) But that's really what it is. I'm going to be a slave for God. And that really needs to be the heart of somebody who has a calling into ministry. But guys, guess what? We're all slaves to God. And we're all called to be in the ministry whether we do it full time or not. Amen? And that's the word he's using here. God put me, he counted me faithful to let me be a slave for him. He counted me faithful to let me be a testimony for him everywhere I go. Paul considered it an incredible honor for which he was undeserving. Again, not only that God would save him, but would use him to minister to others. Based on what Paul had done prior to salvation, saved and that's all you would think. When we read his testimony, we're getting to it in a couple verses. If you knew all about this guy, you would think, man, he's just glad he's not going to burn in hell. He's just glad he's got the get out of hell free card and he just wants to go wait somewhere. That's good enough. Hey, where I was headed, this is way better. But guys, God, again, as I said before, didn't save us so we could be in mothballs. God saved us so he could use us. Now, based on what Paul had done, he could have hidden away until heaven. But not what God does. He saves us with a specific thing in mind. And know this, and I love this, he that's been forgiven much loves much. And because he'd been forgiven so much, he had an incredible passion for God. If you've never read the book Harvest, can I encourage you to read it? If you didn't know this about Calvary Chapels, then you can run from the building after church, and it's okay, and we still love you. But the truth is that most of the first Calvary Chapel pastors were all people that were hippies that got saved in the Jesus movement. Most of them were whacked out on drugs and Going in and out of jail and all kinds of stuff. And those are, they're all pastors now. But he that's been forgiven much loves much. Amen? And you know what? Every one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. And we've all been forgiven much. Amen? Who's only been forgiven a little in here? Raise your hand. You'll have to be forgiven more for the lie you just told when you raise your hand. So the impact of God's grace upon Paul's life, God had saved him and empowered him for ministry in spite of the person he once was, and the Lord loves to make us, make us trophies of his grace. The world says this, a man or a woman, whatever your actions are in the past, you will always be that. Psychology, oh, you'll always be that, oh, you'll never change. I was on that email list there's a senior pastor server and a couple senior pastors were talking about a specific sin that they've never seen anybody healed from it and they're acting like it couldn't be done i'm like have you guys read the bible he who the son sets free is free indeed amen, amen. if any man be in christ he indeed is a new creation so the world might say well once a drunk always a drunk once a an adulterer always an adulterer you can never be trusted again once a thief always a thief once a homosexual, or a child molester, or a rapist, or a fornicator, or a, a wife abuser, or a drug addict, you know what? We can start to categorize sin. Is any sin too great for God to restore? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, and aren't you glad? And so we need to understand that when we start saying there are certain sins that can't, we cannot be delivered from, we've just made our God really small. Because our God's greater than all of it, isn't He? And so I want to encourage you that while that might be true that someone who doesn't know God, who struggled with alcohol, may struggle with alcohol their whole life, or struggled with drugs, or struggled with pornography, or whatever it might be, I want to say this. That does not have to be true of a Christian. God can deliver you completely. Oh, that's just too simple. Well, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Do we believe that or not? All things have passed away, all things have become new except for this sin part of my life. No, God can deliver you from that, can't He? That's the God that we serve. Don't believe the lie that you cannot change or that you cannot be used by God because of your past. Don't ever buy that lie. So number one, impact of God's grace on Paul's life. It enabled him to minister to others, but look at this. It delivered him from the man he used to be. So how bad could this guy really have been? Let's read. Verse 13 Although I was formerly a blasphemer Now A blasphemer is somebody who denies the deity of Christ He denied the deity of Christ He called Jesus an imposter and a deceiver And he compelled others to deny him as well Even to the point, as we're going to get to the next word Of persecuting them He was a blasphemer So Anybody who denies the deity of Christ is a blasphemer. But wait a minute, that's just kind of harsh. Guys, what, and again, I said this before, I respect people, I love people, I don't respect their beliefs if they reject Jesus. And too often we want to respect their beliefs, but nobody's burning in hell saying, I'm really glad those people respected my beliefs. I'm just really glad they didn't try to push that Jesus trip on me. You know what? The people that are all separated from God, like the rich man, the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16, he was saying, go back and tell my whole family that it's true. Go back and tell my whole family that Jesus is the Messiah. I can't go, but you make sure they know the truth. Every time I do a funeral... I get up and speak on behalf of the person who died and whether they're saved or not, I can speak with great authority and say if the person were here today, they would tell you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father but by Him and they would exhort you to come to know Him today. And I can say that with great authority whether they're spending an attorney separated from God or in His presence. And so we see here with the Apostle Paul that he was a blasphemer who literally rejected the, the cross of christ who mocked the lord and then look what it says not only a blasphemer but a persecutor he persecuted believers unto death he was heartless concerning christians he was arguably the greatest enemy of christianity it says this in acts i persecuted this way to death binding and delivering into prison both men and women As also the high priest bare me witness and all the council of elders from whom I also received letters to brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were in Jerusalem to be punished. He went out and gathered up Christians and brought them back to be punished. He even, again, as you heard me say, the first martyr who was holding the coats, Saul, while they're stoning Stephen. This was a man who could look at his past and think, God could never use me. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the faith. says later in Acts, Indeed I myself thought, I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And then when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them says, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This was not a nice guy. He was Osama bin Laden. But you know what? He didn't even realize he was making the gospel spread even before he got saved. Because all the Christians were in Jerusalem. And the Lord told them to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, they were a little slow getting moving And so so Saul started persecuting them and they all ran out of town to get away from him and the gospel spread all over the known world. So Saul of Tarsus was an evangelist even before he got saved. He had no idea how he was impacting the word of God and making it spread. You know, sometimes we need persecution to have some boldness, amen? Sometimes we need to go through those trials that we might have a greater faith and a greater boldness in our Lord. It also says he was an insolent man. What does that mean? That word insolent means that he was violent and arrogant. Those are a bad combination. Arrogant and violent. I don't want, I don't want to have any friends that are either one of those things. And when you put the two of them together, that's a really bad combination. Don't don't you doesn't pride in other people just bug the tart out of you? Struggle with in our own life. But when you see it in someone else, it's like, oh, that guy's so prideful. And you don't like it. And we don't like violent. But he was violent and he was arrogant. An ungodly bully who threw his weight around. He was deeply religious. He mocked the name of Christ. He denied his deity. He compelled others to die him by force. He was the number one enemy of the church. And he was violent and he was arrogant. And all the while, he thought he was honoring God. Religious does not equal godly. Most people today who would consider themselves to be religious do not know God. Man, again, can be zealous, he can be sincere, and still be wrong. So how bad was Saul? Again, as I said, he was the arch enemy of the Christian faith. But look what it says. I was a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent, and an arrogant man. But I obtained mercy. Guys, if you underline stuff in your Bible... But I obtained mercy. What is mercy? God not giving us what we deserve. What did what did Saul of Tarsus deserve? What's the answer? Hellfire. Oh man, man, that's twice hell in one message. Here's the guys, here's the truth. He deserved it, but mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Praise God for his mercy, amen? And so He's a merciful God, and a gracious God, and a loving God. I obtained mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. The word mercy in Greek can also be translated compassion. But I obtained compassion. God showed compassion upon a man who didn't deserve it. And you know what? He showed compassion on each one of us, and we didn't deserve it. One who had blasphemed, one who had persecuted his children... Look what it says here. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, I don't want you to think that it means that if you're ignorant and you're persecuting God, that it's okay. When you look at the original language, it's not an excuse for his behavior. But he's saying, I blasphemed and I persecuted and I was violent and I was arrogant because I was ignorant. But at the same time, ignorance is not an excuse for ungodly behavior. You drive down the freeway and you think the speed limit is 25, or you think it's 65 and it's 25, and you're going 65, what happens to you? You get a ticket, but I didn't know. It doesn't matter what you know, it's what does the law say, amen? Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, whether people believe it or not. Now we ought to be burned to make sure every unbeliever this side of hell comes to know Christ, amen? And make sure they all hear the truth of who he is. But ignorance is not an excuse for ungodly behavior. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong, and God showed him mercy. Verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Man, I love that. In Greek, the word could be superabounded. His grace superabounded. I didn't know that was a word. It's superabounded. And you know what? For us, don't we need the superabounding grace? Don't we need that, gra- that grace that's off the chart grace? That's what I want. Amen? We want judgment for others, grace for us. <laughs> judgment for the enemy, grace for us. Judge him, grace for me. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And in the midst of his rebellion, the Lord brought him grace. Now the three words that it talks about here are grace, faith, and love. Look what it says. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is why we are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Where is love found? In Christ Jesus. Give you one guess what that word love is in the Greek. Agape. The only way you can have agape love is if you know the God of agape love, Jesus Christ. You can't have it apart from Him. Now you can have other emotions that are of physical based love, but you can't have agape love. And when you have someone who has agape love and someone who can't have it and you put them together, you have an unequally yoked relationship. You have one who can have an intimate love relationship with God and one who does not. And again, if you're in that relationship now, then you need to stand firm and and love that person and love them into the kingdom. Amen? Let them see Jesus in you. But if you're not, don't get involved with somebody who's not on fire. Don't just say, Oh, he's a Christian. Saw him at church once. That's enough. No, don't do that. You want to see someone who's on fire for God, amen? Don't you want someone who just sold out for Jesus? That's what you want. Don't, don't settle for anything less. Now look what it says here. I love the words here. Grace, faith, and love. Here's what I love about it. Saul was once all about the law, right? And now, he's all about grace. What happened? Met Jesus. He was once in unbelief, and now he's walking in faith. What happened? He met Jesus. He was once a a man who hated and persecuted the church. He now loves and ministers to the church. What happened? He met Jesus. God turns everything around, doesn't he? And he turns us into trophies of his grace. People see us and say, dude, what happened to you? I saw you last year and you were, what up? Jesus, that's what's up. I met the Lord. I'm different now. Amen? Amen. I've come to know Him. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. He's saying, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. He's saying, take notice. What I'm about to say is very, very important. Take note. And look what he says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. How important is that? We're living in a world today where pastors are taking the word sin out of church because they don't want to offend anybody. But guess what? Jesus came to save sinners. So if you don't know you're a sinner, you won't see your need for a Savior. And the first thing you need to do to be a Christian is you've got to be a sinner first. Amen? If you're not a sinner, you can never be a Christian. So we want to take sin out of the vocabulary and take the cross out of the church and never talk about sin. Well, guess what? Nobody can get saved if you don't tell them they're sinners. Because they'll see no need for a Savior, amen? And that's exactly what he's saying. He says, look, Christ Jesus came into the world so that you could have a wonderful life filled with great wealth and all the things you want. Is that what it says? So he could be your holy Santa Claus in the sky and you could just make him do stuff as long as you believe it. That's not what the text says. So that you can be wealthy beyond measure and everybody will be jealous of your relationship with God because you got a Rolex watch and you're driving a Rolls Royce. Is that not what you see on TV? Jesus Christ didn't come to make you rich physically. He came to make you rich spiritually and that's a lot better. And it'll outlast this life. He says there, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and man, I'm glad because I am one. How about you? Now notice this. He came to save sinners. There are roughly 6 billion people on the planet. Someone will probably correct me afterward. I thought that's the number. How many of them are sinners? All All of them. So who did Jesus come to save? Everybody. But they must see their sin before they'll see a need for a Savior. But we'll notice this. He then says, of whom I am chief. He says, Jesus came to save sinners, and guess who's the chief of all the sinners? Right here. Now what's amazing about this, this is the Apostle Paul at the end of his life. What's he been doing for the last couple of decades? Preaching the gospel, planting churches all over the known world. He's been in prison for his faith. He stood up when they were going to kill him. He was stoned to death of Lystra, got back up, went back into the city and preached the gospel again. He was 40 lashes minus one five times and just kept preaching the word. They brought him up in front of a crowd when there was a huge riot going on. They all wanted to kill him and he thought, ooh, a crowd. Let me share Jesus with them. <laughs> this is the Apostle Paul. And he doesn't say, yeah, that's me, the Apostle, A hey, Apostle Paul, that'd be me. He doesn't say that. By the way, anybody identifies himself as an apostle, run away. Because here's the point. Let's point people to Christ, not to us, amen? amen. People shouldn't be impressed with, oh, well, you know, I've been doing this for 37, i got this minute. Stop! Paul says, chief sinner. You want to know who I am? Chief sinner. Now what's amazing about this, is the closer he gets to God, the more he realizes what a sinner he is. Because in the first letter that he, in the, one of the first letters he wrote, back in 1 Corinthians, He said, I'm the least of the apostles. Okay, so he was humble. I was the least of the apostles. Well, later in Ephesians, he says, well, I'm less than the least of all the saints. He got to know God a little better. Not the least of the apostles anymore, less than the least of all the saints. Now he's gotten to know God a lot more, and he says, chief of sinners. Why? Because the better we get to know God, the more we realize how far away we are from Him apart from His grace. The more we recognize how great He is and how awesome He is, the more we realize how desperately we need Him. He doesn't need you. You need Him. Now He'll use you in spite of you. Amen? Because He's a gracious God. Never lost awe of the fact that God could use a sinner like Him. You know what? Paul to me is such an interesting picture because he's the guy that could have said God could never use me because he could look back i got too much baggage. I mean, dude, you don't do you know who I was before I was a Christian? I was Osama bin Laden. Do you understand who I was? I was the most hated guy in the whole Christian faith. I cast votes for people to be killed because of their faith. I got too much baggage, God couldn't use me. And the other extreme is God used him mightily, and he never got full of himself. Even though God was doing great things through him, he still said, Chief of sinners. Don't you love this guy? Because that's exactly, we need to understand, I don't care what's in your past, God can still use you. Because if your past is really gnarly, it just means you got a really gnarly testimony and you're an even bigger trophy to God's grace, amen? And that's what the Apostle Paul was. He had an awe and humility and he thought about who the Lord was and all he had done for him and because of that, he realized that he was a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. The impact of God's grace on Paul's life. We may not get through the chapter, but so what else is new? Um, he enabled him to minister to others. He delivered him from being the man he used to be. Look at this. He transformed him into a trophy of grace. Look at verse 16. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. For What reason? What reason? What's the last sentence of the previous chapter? He was the chief sinner. Why do you obtain mercy? Because you need it. Amen? Amen? He was the chief sinner, so he needed mercy. Who needs mercy here? Raise your hand. Amen? We need to grasp the fact that we need mercy. As a pattern of those who are going to battle, Paul recognized he was again... Someone the world could look at. Look what he says. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. You know what he's saying? My life was such a disaster that I am now a testimony that is, God is using powerfully to show people that if God can save that guy, He can save anybody. That's what he's saying. I'm the pattern. Everybody's looking at me going, wow, that guy got saved? Wow, God can save anybody. And you know what? Every one of us probably has at least a few people in our life that think that person got saved? Wow, God can save anybody. Amen? Amen. And I'm glad that He can save anybody or nobody would be saved. Paul's saying if God can forgive a person as bad as me, He can forgive you too. If he can forgive persecution, if he can forgive blasphemy, if he can forgive violence and arrogance, if he can forgive those who went out and hunted down his children and killed them in in religious zeal, if he can forgive me, he can forgive you. I love that. That's why Paul understood the grace of God, because he had experienced it. Now look what happens when you start talking about the grace of God. This should be an example to all of us. Look at verse 17. Look at the natural outpouring when you start to understand God's grace for you. Worship. Worship. When you start to recognize how gracious God has been to you, the natural outpouring of that should be worship. Look what it says. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what that is? That's worship. He's magnifying the name of the Lord who by His grace delivered Him from His sin even though He didn't deserve it. Guys, when we're worshiping in here, we ought to be thinking... About God's grace. We ought to be looking back to the cross of Christ and the price he paid that we might have eternal life when we didn't deserve it. Doesn't that bring us to our knees? Doesn't that bring us to the end of ourselves and cause us to look up? It produced a heart of praise and worship. King eternal. I love that. How long has he been king? Always. He didn't become king, he didn't become God. Where was He before that? He was always there. Well, I love when I was a youth pastor. Like You get like the junior high kids. Okay, now where was God 500 billion years ago? He was there. Where was He before that? He was there. Where was He? You know, and they write down, they'll get a chalkboard and cover it in zeros. How? What about then? He was there. He's always been there. Why? He's King Eternal. Amen? He's always been. He always will be. He gives us a headache because we're finite man trying to understand infinite God. And I'm glad I serve a God I can't figure out. Amen? He sent Jesus so I could understand him and I could know him, but he's way greater than we think. Nobody's gonna get to heaven and go, oh, that's it? Nobody. You're not gonna get there and go, oh, I thought it was gonna be bigger. You know, or I thought you were gonna be more awesome. That's not gonna happen. We're all gonna get there and go, first of all, we're gonna be face down. Amen? People say, I got some questions for God. Bro, you ain't got no questions. You get to heaven. You know, you're going to be asking questions into the dirt if you're asking any question. You're like this, right? Is He worthy to be worshipped or be praised? He's King Eternal. He's also immortal. He's existed before everything else existed, be- being the creator of all things. He's invisible. That means He's not completely knowable by us. We can't completely figure Him out. He's God who alone is wise. That means if you're not God, you're not wise. Is that what it says? God who alone is wise. Are you God? No. Are you wise? No. Now, can he give us wisdom? Yes, but who gives it to us? He does. Well, I'm just really wise. I've been studying a long time. I just got it. No, you're not. He's wise. You can, puff, you can get puffed up with your knowledge, but you're nothing compared to God, right? Everybody, people get offended when I say that. I'm blown away. Let me say it. You're nothing compared to God. Now, you mean everything to God. Amen? But you're nothing compared to God. And I'm glad. Because if He was comparable to anybody in this room, that would not be good. Now, it says, Be honor and glory forever and ever. Knowing all this about God, Paul couldn't stop praising Him. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Lord, you knew who I was. You saw every wicked vile thing I did and you loved me anyway. Be glory and honor forever and ever. Lord, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Be glory and honor forever and ever. Lord, you saw me at my worst moment. You've read my thoughts that no one else has ever read. And you love me anyway. Be glory and honor forever and ever. What a great God we serve, amen? Aren't you glad that it's, there's not a test to get into? Okay, we'll see how you do. Aren't you glad there aren't big scales or anything? No, good stuff, bad stuff? Aren't you glad? You know what it is? All the bad stuff's on this side, and the thing is buried in the ground, and then you put the cross on this side, and that's it. Amen? We've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, not by the works of the man. Amen? It's by His grace that we've been saved. Last three, last three verses. I'm going to finish anyway. There it is. Where are you going? All right. Lastly, Paul's exhortation to Timothy in light of his grace. Look what he says. This I charge. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. I love this. He calls Timothy his son. I charge you this son Timothy, my son in the faith. We talked about this last week. He may have led him to the Lord, but even if he didn't, he encouraged him in his faith. He says, I charge you. That's a military word to exhort him. How is he? And then he says to him, According to the prophecies previously made concerning you that, you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. He's saying, Timothy, fight the good fight. Timothy, my son in the faith, do battle for the Lord. How do you do that? Earlier in the chapter, he said, stay in Ephesus, charge him to teach no other doctrine. Don't give heed to the, to the fables and myths or the endless genealogies. God wanted Timothy to draw strength from the things that he had already received, the prophecy he had already heard, and we don't know exactly what that was. It may have been that people came and told him that God was going to use him in a mighty way. By the way, be careful of that. If somebody comes and tells you God's going to use you in a mightier way than Daniel, don't listen to them. You know, people do that to you. I've had people tell me that. Well, God's, God's and you're going to be greater than Paul. Oh, stop it already. Go away. Here's the thing. You know what? We ought to be in a place where we just remain desperate for the Lord. And we realize that any good thing that happens is going to happen because of Him. And anything anybody tells us ought to be in agreement with the Word of God. And it should never puff us up. Amen? Amen. Somebody comes giving you a word, telling you how wonderful you are. Not so much. That sounds like a word from somebody, but it's not God. Who wants you to be prideful? The enemy. Amen? So be careful. Check everything against the Word of God. Last two verses. Having faith and a good conscience. These are the tools of warfare. Faith in God and a good conscience before God. The fear of God is the desire that we need to have to have a good conscience before Him. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? So it's when we fear God that we can have wisdom. Having a good conscience before God is better than popularity before man. Good conscience before God. When you go to bed at night, knowing that you're walking in obedience to the Lord, that's really all that matters. Amen? Not how popular you are with men. Now look what it says here. With some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. You know what he's talking about here? Those who stop teaching the word of God have suffered shipwreck. You know what the Bible is? It's the compass. If you take the compass off the ship and you throw it out, it's just a matter of time when you have your accident. It's not if, it's when, right? Right? You throw the compass out, you got no idea where you're going. You're going through the fog. You're going to hit something at some point. And here's the truth. We need the compass of God's Word. It leads us, it guides us, and it keeps us from getting shipwrecked. Amen? But sadly today, people are tossing the Bible overboard and trying to find other ways to be led. Guys, we need to be led by the Lord through His Word and the power of His Holy Spirit. When you hear people getting away from the Word of God, it should bring a stir a caution in your heart. Timothy, there are people that have taken a different ministry model. Don't follow it. They're, they're suffering shipwreck because they're getting away from the Word of God. They're heeding the fables. They're on a boat that's headed right for the cliffs. You know, they're following after Mormon doctrine. They're headed off the cliff. You know, don't follow the false doctrine. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep the compass, the Word of God. Last verse. Of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Whoa. Did Paul name names? He named names. I get in trouble for naming names. Paul named names? Now why does he do this? You know why he does it? Not not to come across as holier than thou or arrogant, but you know what? if we don't get the entire truth delivered in a way that we clearly understand, we won't know how to avoid it. We had a girl in my youth group in Southern California 15 years ago that came to youth group one night and said, oh, by the way, Pastor Dave, I won't be coming to youth group anymore because my friend down the street goes to another church and I really like it. And I go, what church is it? Oh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's just another church down the street. What? You know what? It was right then I realized, you got to warn these kids what the lie is. And he's telling them, these guys have fallen away. And he says, deliver them up now. These men were teaching false doctrine. They went after fables. They strained at the end of genealogies. And they blasphemed the name of God. And I delivered them unto Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Notice Paul named their names again. So it's okay, again, in love. But when you do it, it bothers people every time. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. The Church of Religious Science is a cult. Oh, Pastor Dave, why do you got to be like that? Here's the point. They deny the deity of Christ. What does that make them? Cult. What does every cult do? Makes God less, man more. Every one of them. The Mormons believe that our God used to be a man on another planet, did a really good job, got to be God of our planet. That's a fact. Uh, I'm glad that's not true. And the whole pitch is, well, you get to be God of your own planet. Do a good job. You get to be God, and you can have, you know what, you can have a bunch of wives, and you can populate the whole planet yourself. Boy, that's a man-centered gospel if I ever heard one, isn't it? <laughs> but the point is that we need to point people to the truth. He names their names and he delivered them to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul's saying this if somebody is blaspheming God. They need to be put out of the church so they'll have to make a decision. They'll have to make a decision to continue on in their behavior or repent and come back to the body of Christ. It's not deliver them up so they'll never have a chance to be saved. It's deliver them up so they will have a chance to be saved. Because if you let them stay within the body and they think that they can live that way and they think that they can believe those things and they think it's okay and they can still be born again while rejecting Jesus Christ... What we've really done is let them comfortable in a position of rebellion against God. He said, we need to call it out in love and say, no, that's wrong, and deliver them up so they have a choice to make. Most Mormons I meet tell me they're Christians. I have to, in love, correct them, no, you're not. <laughs> well, I'm a Christian. No, you're not. Well, yeah, we believe, in j- no, you, do you believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers? Well, yeah. Then you're not a Christian. Amen. Do you believe you're going to be God or your own planet one day? Okay, you're not a Christian. Do you believe that Jesus Christ always has been God? That's the the question right there, by the way. Ask everybody, has Jesus Christ always been God? Well, no, he's one of... Then you're not a Christian. Now, we don't come across arrogant. Do it in love, amen? And reach out to them because they need to know the Lord. Okay, a trophy of God's grace. The impact on, on Paul's life. What did it do? It enabled him to minister to others. It delivered him from the man he used to be. It transformed him into a trophy of God's grace. Everybody that saw him knew God had got a hold of him. Wouldn't you love that to be your testimony? Everybody sees you knows God got a hold of them. And it produced a heart of praise and worship. And then his exhortation to Timothy was to fight the good fight and to use the tools of warfare, which are faith and a good conscience before God. And then he taught him how to deal with false teachers. Guys, we're going to go to a time of communion now, but I want to say this. If you're here this morning and you've thought there was any other path in any other way, and you thought just coming to church or being a good person, you know what? Did you know that God loves you enough that He brought you here today? He invited you with a friend and you thought you stumbled in here or you thought you got hoodwinked into it or you're doing it so you can go to lunch later or whatever it might be. God brought you here so you would hear this truth this morning. And He wants you to know that he loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. You are his treasured possession. And no matter what your past looks like, no matter what you've done, God can save you and he wants to use you just like he did Paul. He wants to turn you from the wreckage that were all of our lives were apart from Christ to a trophy to his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your love and your grace. And Lord, I thank you that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. It's not because we're perfect, that we're saved, but because you're perfect. And Lord, I just pray there's anybody here, even one person who doesn't know you. Lord, we know you brought us all here by divine appointment. And Lord, I ask that the scales would be removed from their eyes, that they wouldn't allow pride to keep them away from you. But Lord, they would make a decision today to respond to your offer of love and grace and mercy. With every head bowed, just real quick, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, And you want to be born again. You want to know for sure you're going to heaven. I'm not asking you to join a church or anything else. It's very simple. All you're going to do is raise your hand. And then as we take communion, I'll have you come up with myself and the other pastors. And we'll just pray a simple prayer with you. You acknowledging that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. If that's your desire. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. So if it's your desire to know for sure that when you leave this place this morning that you're going to heaven, that you've been born again, you want to have that same radical transformation in your life that we saw in Paul's this morning, just raise your hand right where you are and I'll pray a simple prayer with you. Anybody at all? God bless you. Anybody else? Today's the day of salvation. The Lord loves you guys. Anybody else? Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you That your word says that when one sinner repents, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. We thank you there's a party up in heaven right now. Lord, I pray as we go to this time of communion, Lord, that as we take the elements, the bread representing your body broken for us, the juice representing your blood that was poured out for us, Lord, I pray that we would take this time to look back to the cross and that work that you did. May we never take it for granted. May we look within at our own lives, any areas, Lord, we need to get right with you. May we do that this morning. And then, Lord, may we at the same time look forward to the time we will have this feast with you in heaven. So, Father, may you be glorified. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you, Lord. We're trophies to your grace. We don't deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Worship team's gonna play a song now. A couple songs. Come on up. Grab the elements here at Calvary Chapel. We don't have membership. If you're a Christian communion's for you. If you're not a Christian, you're not to take it, but you can come up and talk to us, we can pray with you, and then you can come take it. Amen? All right, God bless.